So Glenn was so excited when they approached him to plan a cruise through history. He knew he was going to build an amazing experience for you, seeing the birthplace of the Republic, commerce, and our faith that inspired our founding fathers with the idea that man could rule himself will be such an incredible learning experience for you and your family. You need to join Glenn Beck, Bill O'Reilly, Stu, David Barton, and Rabbi LePen on a 14-day adventure next spring on a cruise through history. Come walk where Jesus and the prophets walk in the Holy Land, Italy, Greece, Croatia with Bill O'Reilly, David Barton, Rabbi LePen, Stu, and Glenn himself. This is going to be a cruise like no other, and he is incredibly excited to share it with you. So you need to come be a part of it. You're going to get incredible amenities along with the cruise. You're going to be just going to be a fantastic adventure of a lifetime. It's going to be a memory for you and your family you'll never forget. This all-inclusive trip, including all airfare and gratuities, that comes out to about $360 per day. You just need to put down a deposit, and then you can pay overtime. Early bird discount of $400. Visit ComeSailAway.com and get on the boat. ComeSailAway.com. Go there today. Party time, Mom. What's up? We're back here at Studio 22 hanging out for the Chad Prather Show. That's me, and uh, you're welcome, America, and the rest of the world. We, we're just always having a blast in here. <laughs> and, uh, party, you know, Party Foul, what is the deal with that shirt you're wearing right there? What? Party Foul. That's a throwback fruit. Party Foul shirt. That's, from So here's what we're going to do with the Party Foul brand. We're going to do some vintage T-shirts. And I want to tell everybody, you can still get the PFAF shirts. And if you don't know what the AF stands for, it's not for probably you. don't want to wear that shirt <laughs> out, out there. Uh, but it's a fun little design. Steve, we sold we sold a bunch of those shirts. Yeah. And But I want to do some vintage throwbacks with that. And then your, do you have your cup over there with the old logo on there? Yeah, I want to. Yeah, I want to do a throwback there. with some of those, but put them on like yeah. real good T-shirts, not the, not the cheap crap that you used to make. Yeah, so we're gonna make well, some real stuff. I, they still sold. I know. I know, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. So, so let me tell you the story about PartyFoul.com. Okay, I haven't told you yet, Steve. So I bought PartyFoul.us. I wanted PartyFoul.com. It is actually available, but someone owns it. So I let GoDaddy go negotiate for us for PartyFoul.com. I said, I'm willing to spend up to $2,000. Now, my wife's going to watch this. She's going to get mad, right? I said, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to spend up to $2,000. The guy comes back and says he wants $7,500 for PartyFoul.com. Oh. I said, I'm not doing that. Offer him $3,000. He comes back and he says, that he says he'll take $5,500. He said, do you want to offer him four? I said, no, I think we're going to stick with PartyFoul.us. <laughs> So I mean that's a lot of T-shirts we'd have to sell, Steve. Yeah, that is a lot, but um, oh, but it ain't your money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but Mark, do you hear I, what I deal with? I have like six other websites that are all. I know you do related. I, I just do. couldn't get that. I tried to get that one. Yeah, five anyway. or six years ago, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, so. who knows? You know, if God's in it, it'll happen. Yeah. If First God, world If problems, God wants guys. to fund our debaucherous website, with- that, that guy sitting there with that website is electricity fixing to get cut off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just said we're, we're capping it right there. And if he wants it, he wants it. Natalie, you want to go in on some partyfoul.com? No. <laughs> <laughs> we're hey, going to have Hot News Natalie shirts on there. Sorry. Well, no, here's what I want to do. Yeah, well, so here's I what we're doing. I actually was thinking I'm going to the show this weekend. I can wear PFAF, yeah, you but sure you're going to have to get it to, to me. I'll get it to you. I'll advertise it. I'll come to your house in the middle of the night. Bring it. <laughs> Great. That is mess. great. So, so anyway, this is pre-recorded. There is not a show this weekend in Huntsville. That's oh. already <laughs> happened in the world of entertainment. 
but no, I'm happy sitting over here in the hot seat. Remy Adeleke. Yes, sir. How bad did I slaughter that name? Did that I get it right? Good. That was Adeleke? pretty good. Adeleke, yeah. Adeleke. Well, somebody, somebody had... Uh, had given me your name. They said, well, I, how would you pronounce it? And I said, I would go with Adeleke. <laughs> and so, and good to see you, man. Yeah, Glad you're you in too. here. Yeah. Um, you know, you have got a heck of a story that I want to talk about. And, if, you know, if you've been watching show, movies like Transformers, you've probably seen yeah, yeah. Remy in there. And uh, that's a sweet gig, Yeah, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, and you just was. did a new movie. Yeah, Six Underground. Six Underground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's see, like I keep telling my agent, I'm like, get me in a movie. <laughs> yeah, man, you know? it can just be one scene. <laughs> I know. I just get me in there. I don't need the money. Well, the money, money's, money's nice. nice. Money is good. Money's nice. I'll keep the day job. Yeah. Just give me, you know, let me get out there. Absolutely, absolutely. It's good work, <laughs> good pay, good chow on the on the right? side. Hey, gotta you. love craft services. Yeah, I love them. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yes, sir. What's funny is we have friends who will come to certain shows in different regions where we're at different parts of the country. And we always know which ones are coming just so they can come to get, and get off our tour ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, hey, I'm just going to fix some, some sandwiches, yeah, take yeah. them back to the room yeah. here. And I'm like, what the heck? You know, but <laughs> yeah. People don't know, man. Yeah. It's like craft services are nice. Oh, that, it, it can make or break a day. How'd you get it? How'd you get into the acting world? Uh, I was in grad school get, been doing my master's in organizational strategy. My phone rang one day and this lady was like, hey, Michael Bay starting his new film Transformers. You know, he's looking for a former Navy SEAL. What's your background? Are you available? And then that's how I got into the next day. I was on set. That one day turned into three weeks. Three weeks turned into six months on the film. And then yeah. that opened up other doors for me in the film and TV industry. I was not searching for it at all. So when they're looking for a role like that, are they trying to find somebody that tactically is accurate? Yeah, that was the, that was the main piece. Bay, he's used Navy SEALs in his film since The Rock. Right. Back in 96. So they were looking for somebody who could shoot, move, and communicate on camera so that it looks authentic when the audience views it. I was talking to different friends, we, the, some Benghazi survivors, and I, yeah. I always, every time I'm around those guys, I'm like, hey, you know that scene in 13 hours? Did you? And they were like, it's Michael Bay. He's gone. <laughs> there were no cars blowing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, there was a lot of bullets flying in yeah, Benghazi that night, yeah. but there was not any cars blowing up. Oh, you know, if, if Bay's doing a film, there is going to be at least one explosion. I know. <laughs> got to blow things up. And I was like, well, you know, you got to make a movie yeah, like that. Yeah. That is Michael Bay film. Yeah. But congratulations on the success, and, and, and I wish you a whole lot more. Because I, I love being, I love knowing uh, movie stars personally. So. Well, I'm not. A, I want to say myself. <laughs> oh no, it's coming. Say, really, it's coming! Baby. It's coming! Man, I can't minimize that. Yeah, so I, I'll take it if it comes. Yeah. I'll take it. I know, man. Yeah. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. But you know, uh, see, like here's the problem. Like if they put me in a movie, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they, I started getting some phone calls like that. Party foul. Steve would think he automatically should be in the movie too. Well, why? And I was, wasn't I? Yeah, you. We just did, yeah, we did just say. do a movie, and you were you were an extra. In the an back. extra? What movie was it? What movie was it? We did a movie called. Uh, uh, oh gosh, <laughs> it was. It Hopefully, was, it wasn't that bad. You already forgot. Heroes Among Us. Heroes oh, no. Among Us. And let me tell you yeah. what made me feel weird, Remy, because so they wanted me to play uh, a twenty-year master sergeant, yeah, at, who was retiring, coming yeah. out and trying to adjust into. It wasn't the typical like PTS thing. Yeah, it was yeah. it was it was trying to adjust to civilian world uh -huh. after being in that world for twenty years, mm -hmm. and so I felt weird because obviously I'm a supporter of our veterans and our and our military. Yeah. But for me to put that uniform on and yeah. I'm put, here's here's you know a, a friend who was a consultant. I'm wearing his gear and his armor yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was like. Ugh. Is this okay? Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah. well, Mark Wahlberg can do it. Oh, yeah, he does it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we had the consultants right there on set yeah. who were just saying, okay, you would do this and you would do this. And yeah. this is how you would body language yeah. and carry yourself. It's a little intimidating. 
No, I, it could totally be. I mean, that's one of the jobs that I've I've done a lot in the film and TV industry as well is the consulting. Yeah. And 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 you know the cool thing is I've been able to work with some actors who are they they respect they respect veterans and they're they lean on us. Yeah. And, and some of them have that same notion as well where they're just like ah oh, should I be saying this should I be doing this I want to get it right so yeah yeah, yeah we had uh, at the end of it I'll toot my own horn. I have this philosophy. He who tooteth not his own horn remains in a perpetual state of untootedness. <laughs> so, so I'm going to toot my own yeah, horn yeah. here. Um, the, uh, the, one of the uh, directors uh, on the film, she said, I cried at that last scene when you walking down that hall. I just, you know, and yeah. I was like, nailed it. Yeah. Man. She said, I've never cried at a scene before when we were shooting. And she said, I, she said, that was, that was real. And then the consultant yeah. came up and he said, you, you nailed it. I was like, yes. Oscar might be in your future. Yeah. yeah. I can do this thing. Yeah. No, it, I, I've always been fascinated with it. It's a mm-hmm. blast. But as, as a Navy SEAL, mm-hmm. from your perspective, what's what's the attitude in mm-hmm. Hollywood? I, mean, what, I, I know I know the general consensus. Yeah. But what's the attitude with the folks you work with? In the film and TV industry? Yeah, film and TV industry towards veterans. You know, I mean, all the people that I've worked with, they've been super respectful um, yeah. to me. Um, I've never had any issues. I've, you know a lot of doors have opened for me. And I mean, all of the doors that have opened for me in the film and TV industry has solely been because I, I'm a veteran, I'm a Navy SEAL specifically. So um, I haven't had any pushback even now, you know, I've gotten into writing and producing and um, I'm in talks with a studio now and, and, and to, to turn my content into films and TV shows. And it's just been like, come show us what you got. Like we're, we're open to receive your ideas and your concepts. And I think a lot of it is, you know, you have all of these action films that come out and, and, and they want it. Hollywood wants to make it as authentic as possible. And there's been shows like seal team on CBS yeah. where all the consultants on that show and some of the writers in the writer's room are former seals or former Delta. So yeah. they see the the benefit of having those type of guys on, on set. Yeah. A buddy of mine has a recurring role on uh, the seal team. Yeah. And, um, he's not former military, but he's ripped and he's a yeah. really beautiful man. What's his, I hate that. What's his name? What's his name? I know him. <laughs> I'll show you. We'll, we'll hook you up on Instagram okay, here. Okay, here. Yeah, yeah. Zadrian is his name. He's from overseas, obviously, okay. with a name like Zadrian. He yeah. goes by Z because nobody can pronounce his name. Americans. Uh, but <laughs> but that's, that's, that's an interesting thing, though, yeah. it, it, because I, I'm out in Hollywood a good bit, and, mm. and we've, you know, we've pitched everything. And coming from my perspective, yeah. as a people would consider me a conservative comedian or yeah. writer center, I just call it, yeah, I just common sense. I make fun of everybody. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. But you, that reputation kind of goes before you, and then you meet with Fox and CBS and NBC and mm-hmm. ABC and all these guys, and, and they're kind of like looking at you like, yeah. this guy, he's an alien from Texas. Yeah, what is yeah, this yeah. Guy? <laughs> what is he going to say? <laughs> yeah, so, but but everybody's always been gracious. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's always been gracious. But here's what I want to talk about. Yeah. Look at this. Look at, every time we have somebody come in here, look how handsome this yeah, book is man. right here. I'm going to yeah. get where the lights are. It's hard on that There's no Photoshop on that. There's no Photoshop on that. Transformed. If you can't read that. And that's great, see, because you could do a, you could do a movie called Transformers yeah. that nobody's heard of, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. write a book called Transform there and jump go. right off of that. So you were born in Nigeria, yes, sir. And yes, you sir. and I have that in common. Not that I was born there, but I've been there a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've yeah. been there enough to probably be able to say you were born there. <laughs> I, 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 I'm passable in Yoruba. Uh, I am Yoruba. Depends on which taxi cab I get into, oh, what yeah, part of the yeah, city. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? But I, but I always love that because. Honestly, I'm always running into Nigerians in the big cities, yeah. and I love conversing with them and 
talking about eating pounded yam and a good yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jollof, jollof rice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And getting suya and, and just yeah. all the goat meat and peanut the, stew. The pepe and the, pe- the peanut, I know. Yeah. I don't miss any of that. It, it sticks to your ribs. It sticks <laughs> to your ribs. Man. Pounded yam yeah. definitely does. Yeah. How did you get to America? Yes. Yeah, so my dad, he was a he was a well-known Nigerian engineer, businessman, philanthropist. Um, um, he was very successful. But in Nigeria, there's a lot of corruption. Historically, it's it's been consistently ranked as one of the most uh, corrupt nations in the world. And my dad, he man made one of the first man-made islands in the world, uh, Banana Island. And he had invested millions and millions and millions of dollars into this island to not only develop it, but also to, to build on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately... In 1987, the Nigerian government, they stripped my father of his most valuable asset and he had dumped everything into it and he died days later. Oh, wow. So we went from rich, traveling the world, nannies, cars, drivers, living on a compound, having servants, all of these things to poor, just like that. And uh, my mom, she was from New York. I tell people all the time that my mom and dad's story is the real coming to America story. Yeah. Because <laughs> they met in the States and then they got married five months later. My mom, being this New Yorker, was you know flown out to Nigeria to, to experience this lavish life. So when my dad died, my mom was just like, there's no way I'm raising my two boys here in Africa. And that's when she permanently relocated us to New York City, to Bronx. How old were you at that time? I was five. Five. Yeah. And so you went You went from, I'm assuming, living in Lagos? Uh, yeah, Victoria Island. Oh, Victoria yep. Island. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And then, and then to the Bronx. To the Bronx, yeah. And that's a <laughs> sudden change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's all of a sudden. Uh, you go from culture to culture. Yeah, man. Yeah. Completely different. Yeah. How was that growing up in the Bronx? What what affected you growing up and what were the results? Um, early on, you know, five, six, seven, you know, I didn't really understand the change. I didn't actualize the change. And I would say that because my mom, she did a great job of, of painting. And I would say this movie set and on a movie set, everything seemed perfect. We had Nigerian books. We had Nigerian artwork in our apartment. We had all of these things. And my mom tried to maintain, uh, as much as she could, the life that we had in this apartment, but outside of the apartment was was the chaos, you know, was, you know, the financial hardship was the Bronx, you know. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I was eight years old that I finally realized what had happened. You know, I, I finally realized my dad had died, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and then, you know, looking at our situation, going to with my mom to the rent office and seeing her having to ask for extra time, sharing clothes with my brother, having to wash her underwears and socks in the sink. Uh, that's when I was like, what's going on? We don't have the life we used to have anymore. And um, and that's when I intuitively, well, uh, uh, intrinsically, that's when I started searching for a father. I started trying to find a father because in my mind, if I had a father, our life would be a lot different. And so that's what led me to the street culture, you know, the hip hop culture at the time. And, you know, I was really, really big in a rap and just mm-hmm. all of those things. So, you know, when I would hear about selling drugs, that's what I would want to do. When I would hear about stealing, that's what I wanted to what, what do. And I started out stealing from my mom and then that progressed to, you know, stealing from stores that progressed to stealing from jobs and that progressed to selling drugs. And yeah. that's progressed to running high level scams. And by the time I was 19, I had built this illegal enterprise where I was bringing in 10 to $15,000 a week wow. illegally. So that's, that's what not having a father and living in that environment essentially, you know, and it's, 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 
it's my fault, right? At the end of the day, a lot of it is my fault because my mom tried to steer me in another direction. She yeah. tried to expose me to, to the arts. She tried to expose me to education. She was a teacher in the South Bronx. And matter of fact, she would make my brother and I, you know, get New York Times articles, read them and write reports based off them. So she tried her best, but I was just a boy. And when I got older, my mom couldn't, you know, discipline me anymore. So right. I did my own thing. It's first of all, mm. this disclaimer, let's put an asterisk right here. <laughs> Do not tell the details of your illegal business enterprise because Party Foul Steve will go out and try it. I, <laughs> I was already thinking. Trust me, I can see the gears clicking yeah. in behind his eyes right there. And I'm like, no. See, we have to work hard to keep him redeemed. Well, that'd be All a right? good way to pay for that dot com. Get the money that real fast quick. money, right? There you go. There you go. There you go. Oh, no, we don't want to talk about those details at all around Steve. Yeah, yeah. So that disclaimer aside, I've a, I'm a big I'm a big person, uh, a, a, a huge proponent rather mm-hmm. of this concept of fatherhood yeah. and the idea that boys especially, yeah, everyone needs their father, yeah, M- girls, guys, whatever, but boys need men in their life. Yeah, I agree. And we're one of the only cultures on the planet. Mm-hmm. That doesn't have some form of ceremony that calls boys into manhood. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Western civilization has failed in a big way in that. And then you go into so much of the urban communities where mm. there is no father. Yeah. And that you know, and in the last fifty, sixty years, it's become epidemic. Yeah. And that's and that's the thing. Do you think that that tide can be turned? Absolutely. I mean, I think, and that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. You know, I mean, I truly believe in the power of story. It was, it was through yeah. story that I, you know, found out about the SEAL teams and had this idea that maybe one day I could be a SEAL. So, you know, I think through the power of story, um, absolutely the tide could change. I think also people, men like me and other guys who come from the inner city, especially guys who did not have father, going back into that environment and saying, I'm going to be a father figure too a group of kids or I'm going to pour into them or I'm going to show them a way. And when enough people see that, I think that plays a role. And that's what I do. I work, I work in with a nonprofit in San Diego called uh, city hope, the Mesa city hope. And part of my job is to just not preach to kids, not beat kids up against the head about joining the military, but just hang out with them, be present with them, show up to their school when they're getting in trouble. And I think that if we can get enough of that, I think that that plays a role in changing the tide. You know, I have a there's a saying in this TV show I'm writing called uh, uh, "We are we we are the change that we uh, we are the change that we should want to." Be, um, I'm already chopping it up, but once we are the. Ch- to change, we should be the change we want to see, yeah. essentially. And uh, I think that, you know, just going back to the inner city, yeah, I could totally change the time. Yeah. Sorry for the long answer. <laughs> no, no, I want the long answer. Yeah. The, 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 and I appreciate what you're saying on that mm-hmm. because <clears throat> I also believe in the power of story. Yes. And, I, and you, okay, you take, we had our, our friend James Robinson on the show here recently, and mm-hmm. he made a great point talking about, we were talking about abortion and mm-hmm. pro-life and everything that's going on in the country with all that. Yeah. And he brought up a great example about how the tide turned in, say, like the addiction of cigarettes mm-hmm. as a simple example. Yeah. Whenever all those tobacco companies started getting sued years ago and they started being having, they were forced to actually fund all of these truth campaigns. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and through the power of these commercials, yeah. and they started, started showing what the statistics looked like. Yeah. And all of a sudden people were like, mm, maybe smoking cigarettes isn't that good yeah. of an idea. Yeah. And it was that power of story, story as yeah. graphic as it was, the power of story that yeah. kind of 
turn that tide. Yeah, even now with some of those commercials, you see the people with the holes in their yeah. neck. It's like, oh man, like I don't yeah. want that to happen to me. You know? And, and you're, but you're exactly right. It mm-hmm. takes somebody with an experience like that to be able yeah. to come in and tell their story. That's why yeah. this book is so beautiful. Yes, sir. And and people and I encourage everybody who listens to this or watches this. Yeah. Because because every look, I'm on social media. I got several million people follow me. Yeah. I get tens of thousands of comments a week. Yeah. People are saying these things. I know people care about these things. Yeah. But what are you doing to help stem that and to yeah. turn that tide? You start, for one thing, right here with this yeah. book. Yeah. This is a great place. Thank you. Get, get street wisdom and smarts from somebody who's been there, lived exactly. it, and still living yeah. it. And can relate. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's absolutely. the thing. Because, because you know, uh, I've been all over the world. I've seen a lot of things. Yeah. My experience is still going to be very different from anybody else's. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I haven't. Look at me. I had never missed a meal. <laughs> Look at me. You know, I can remember when I had people always, they used to tell me all the time. They're like, oh, your wife is just so lucky. I was like, yeah, when I had 756 in my bank account, <laughs> and had to figure out how I was going to get five days to Monday. Yeah, she was there. It, and I was like, she didn't feel so lucky. Yeah. yeah. You know, but, but it, it's funny. I, but even in those days, I never missed a meal. Yeah, God's yeah. been good to me. Amen. And so, you know, in a, but you've had those life experiences. You've had mm-hmm. those things and you're telling that story. And yeah. it's, it's a one that, People need to hear it. Yeah, I this, agree. This is a serious thing in America today. Yeah, no, it's it fatherless. It's epidemic. It's yeah. epidemic. And like you said, you know, I truly believe every boy needs a man to teach him how to be a man. Yeah. And every girl needs a man, a father, to teach her how to be loved by a man so yeah. that when she goes out and searches for her spouse, she knows exactly what to look for. And she's not running to some knucklehead that is going to beat her and tell her, I love you. Yeah. She's going to be able to recognize what love is and isn't immediately. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for fathers. I got yeah. five kids. Three of them are, are my daughters. Mm-hmm. Uh, my three oldest are my daughters. Mm-hmm. Two, are, two are off in two different universities in another state. Oh. And uh, we, we, uh, when they were little, I, I said, you know, I'm going to tell you how beautiful you are. Amen. I'm going to tell you how gorgeous you are. I'm going to tell you how smart you are. Because you didn't have anything to do with being beautiful. That's all on me. Yeah. Right. I gave you that. Yeah. <laughs> me and God gave you that. Me, me and God, yeah, your mama yeah, gave yeah, you that. Yeah. But I can compliment you on, on your, your ethic, your standards, you know, working hard, mm-hmm. yeah, how intelligent, these things that you've accomplished. But I tell him, I said, look. I'm always tell you, you got pretty blue eyes or pretty green eyes mm-hmm. or pretty brown eyes. And the three of them have all three. Yeah. And I said, uh, that way when some punk picks yeah. you up to go to prom and starts saying, oh, you got such pretty, pretty. My daddy's already told me yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not telling me things that I don't already know. No. That's the power of a dad. That's the power of a father. Absolutely. A- affirmation. Yeah. Affirmation. You know, uh, every child needs to be affirmed because if not, as they get older, they're going to seek affirmation in relationships or in things. I mean, me growing up, you know, I never had a father that said, you know, until I, you know, after five, I didn't have a father that told me, good job. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're a strong man. You're going to be something. Good job on a basketball court. And so in, intuitively, because I didn't have that and unbeknownst to me, as I got older, I wanted the car. I wanted the girlfriends. I wanted the gold chain. I wanted, you know, the, the rims on. I wanted these things because I wanted people to affirm, to to right. give me what I never got from my dad. And you see it now, even, you know, with athletes at times, you know, you ask, why are you going to a strip club and spending making it rain, spending thousands of dollars that you could go to someone. Why are you spending all of this money on all these cars and houses? Why don't you invest part in this? Because intuitively we are all looking for that affirmation. Our, we're, we're crying out for it. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's the way we, we feel yeah. like we can get it. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, we don't ever shy away from issues. We talk about yeah. everything on this show and, and I, and I'll just say it and, and people, you know, sometimes yeah. I get, 
too blunt with things. I don't think it's too blunt, yeah. but it's just honest. You know, you realize how many guys, especially from the African-American community, mm-hmm. come out of the NBA mm-hmm. after making millions and yeah. millions of dollars and they're bankrupt. Or bankrupt, yeah. Because what did they do? It, and the NBA mm-hmm. has that problem to an epidemic standard, yeah. uh, to that level, yeah. whereas other pro sports really don't, but the NBA does. Yeah. Because they got to have their entourage. Yep, yep. Everybody's got to go on vacation yeah. to Greece together. Yep. Got, and that's exactly right. And it's so many in the yeah. African American community who didn't have that father yeah. to affirm them. Yeah. So now they got to buy it. Yeah. And because, yeah, because then those people give you that affirmation, that right. entourage, the girls, they give you, and you feel. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, even when I was in that, I was still empty. I would receive the affirmation. Yo, man, you the man. Oh, you got yeah. that car, all this and that. And, but I would still go home. It would satisfy me for a moment or yeah. two, but I'm still looking for more of it, you know, because yeah. it never satisfied me. Hey, man, I tell you, you you were speaking my language because yeah. this has been this has been my message for 25 years. Yeah. Is is this? You know, we dropped uh, one of my boys off this morning. He's, he's trying to make a football team. Okay, yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's, he gets his chance to play to the middle school football team. Trying to make a football team. He, he he's one of those guys. Great little kid. Great athlete. Smart. Yeah. He's going to be just fine. Yeah. But he's full of self-doubt. What if I don't? What if I don't? You're yeah. going to be fine. Yes, so we dropped sir. him off this morning at the high school because they're doing strength and conditioning this yeah. summer, right? And uh, I'm like, brother, I'm telling you, just by you going and doing things like this, yeah. you're going to make a team. Yeah. You coach, coaches are paying attention. <laughs> they, they see that you're giving your summer weekdays mm-hmm. to go and do, you know, first four hours of the day doing strength and conditioning yeah. at, at 12, 13 years old. And, those are the kind of things where you look at these kids and they're like, you can see them light up. Yeah. You tell them, say, you can be just fine. Yeah. You need a father to tell you yes. that. Yes. And, and there's folks out there who say, well, I don't have a dad or I don't have a father. And you, you've certainly got that yeah. testimony where you yeah. came out of that. And that's why I say, listen, you read the New Testament. Yeah. God refers to himself as, as father, father yeah. more than any other term. Amen. And that's the deal. And people do have that father-shaped void in their heart, yeah. in their soul, in their life. And ultimately, I think God gave us fathers as an example to show us what a heavenly father is. I agree, like. 100%. I have a message on that where I tell mm-hmm. you, know, God fathers us as he fathers. We are to father our children as God fathers us, something along those lines. Yeah. And I kind of did kind of give that um, that parallel between how God fathers his creation and how we as fathers are the father, father our child. No, sorry, I'm chopping it all up. But, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's where I learned how to be a father. Yeah. Because, you know, when I was 26, that's when, you know, I came to faith, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I would go to the Bible and see, hey, man, how, how was Jesus with, 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 with kids? How was God with these kids? And that's how I kind of, when I would go to Proverbs to get wisdom, man, yeah. how do I raise, I have three sons. I got three boys and I was a boy without a father. Mm-hmm. So that's where I have to go to get my wisdom. So yeah. I know what to do and what not yeah, to what do. What do I do with this thing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that changes with age either. Even at almost 50, I still think, you know, my dad's passed away, but yeah. I still, you know, I wish he was here so he could see what I'm doing and would he be proud? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you know, so you take, okay. So my grandfather, my paternal grandfather mm-hmm. died at 94. He died the right way, by the way. Let me tell you this story. So he's a, he goes there and gets into bed. Yeah. Steve's brain starts working. Yeah, like, you're you're depraved. <laughs> the, the, uh, he goes back there. All the family's there because they knew the time was getting short. Yeah. He had a home health nurse. He goes back there, lays down in the bed. He's, starting to, he's getting ready to go to sleep. So they thought. He rolls over, looks at the, at the nurse and says, go in there and tell everybody I said goodbye. Rolls mm-hmm. over and dies. Oh, wow. 94 years old. That's wow. how you go. Yeah. That's man. how you go. Yeah, yeah. And so my father, though, my father who passed away, March was a year ago. My father spent, and he passed way too early, 
poor health, 75 years old when he passed. Sorry, man. But my father, even even as an older man, mm. still was trying to get his father's attention because mm. he because he didn't have a lot of it. Yeah, growing up. my my grandfather's a pretty hard guy. Yeah, he didn't know how to speak those words of affirmation. Yeah. And I, I agree with you, Steve. You know, when my dad, like my dad had dementia the last two years of his life, and he could not see much of the, whatever you want to call it, worldly success that I achieved because mm-hmm. his, brain, his yeah. brain wasn't there. And so you do have that desire yeah. that's in there. But in your situation, here you are, you're running a, you, you got your illegal business yeah. empire going yeah. on, you're 19, 20 years old, yeah. and then you decide what? I decide, what changes? I get involved in a deal with a drug dealer that goes bad. I sold him some products, not drugs, but different type of products that were supposed to last for a certain amount of time, and they only lasted for a fraction of that time. And he came knocking on my door, <laughs> and he essentially he threatened my life. He had a reputation in the streets for being a killer. Um, I knew that. Um, and I didn't want to test him. <laughs> yeah. You didn't want to so go see how good the him. theory was. Yeah, I didn't want to see how good the theory was. And so I uh, I made him the money back in a, in a day. And that's when I decided I'm done with this life. Yeah, I'm not because I put my mom in danger too. I mm-hmm. think that was the huge wake up call for me. And uh, my mom disciplined my brother. Now she she spanked us when we were kids. Oh, and, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, she gave it to my brother and I. And what that instilled in me, even though I did do wrong things later, was that still instilled in me this co- concept of consequences for actions. Yeah. So. When that situation happened with that drug dealer, that was my major consequence for my action. And I didn't want the consequences to get further, to get deeper. And so that's when I decided I'm done with the street life. Mm -hmm. For six months, I did absolutely nothing. I just laid in bed and neandered around. And my mom was always telling me, go get a job. You need to get, I'm not taking care of no grown man. And then (laughs) finally, you know, fast forward June of 2002, I was lying in my bed and I felt this presence. I felt this voice tell me you need to get out of here. You need to join the military. And in all honesty, I just, I was just, I got up, I looked around. I was like, who, who said that? Where did that come yeah. from? Cause I, you know, I had no faith background at this time. In retrospect, I truly believe that it was, it was, it was God guiding me. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time I thought it was my subconscious cause it was so prevalent. And, um, I just decided, I just said, military, why? You know, military is totally contrary to everything I am. I hated, you know, I hated the police. You know, I had a lot of run-ins with the police. I saw a lot of things that shouldn't have happened in the inner city, um, you know, with the police and and minority community. And I associated anybody in a uniform as a police officer. I didn't like authority. I like my clothes and my hats backwards and my clothes baggy. I liked life a certain way. and, And the military was totally opposed to everything I was and everything that I stood for but after a few few minutes of contemplating even further I looked around this room that I had lived in since my dad died when I was five and I was just like what else do I have left my life has amounted to nothing what else are you going to do with your your life Remy and that's when I was like screw it why not and I and I ran down the street I grew up on and I went to the went to marine recruiters office first by the way (laughs) (laughs) and I sat there for 15 minutes there was coffee on the desk um but he must have been taking a dump or something because (laughs) he didn't come back for 15 minutes and uh he didn't and and I I got up and left because he never showed up and I walked down two doors down to the navy recruiters office and it was this gorgeous wow Puerto Rican navy recruiter in there named Tiana Reyes they do that to you (laughs) they do that to you man pretty people in the yeah, yeah. In office. And, she, and I saw it out in my mind. I'm like, I'm going I'm to get this girl. She's going to be my girl. This and then. And, and she saw that. I was like, yeah, she asked me what I want to do. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. I'm going to be a Navy She's like, yeah, whatever. And um, 
she ran my background, found I had two warrants out for my arrest. Mm. I had a warrant in New Jersey and a warrant in New York. And I got up and got ready to run out the office. And she said, well, you're going to have some getting out of here because she said I got warrants. And she said, you have a suit? And I said, no. She said, do you have a collar shirt and some pants? I said, yes. She said, come back tomorrow. I came back the next day and she was in her dress uniform and she took me to both judges. This was right after 9-11. She took me to the judge in Jersey, the judge in New York, advocated on my behalf, told him, hey, this guy's trying to join the Navy after an act of war. 9-11 just took place. Can we expunge his record? Both of them expunged my record and then she fudged my paperwork and snuck me in. And that's how I got into the wow. Navy. That's how it all happened. And yeah. and, and her, her act of what she did kept me from doing things that I shouldn't have done in the Navy. You know, because I wanted, you know, I didn't want to, I wanted her to know that the decision she made wasn't in vain, Mm -hmm. you know. And so that's why I wanted to be the best sailor I could be um, because of what she did, you know. And you, you, by your own admission, Mm -hmm. I mean, your life has been influenced very heavily by women. Yeah, a lot of absolutely. women. We yeah. talk about fathers, yeah, yeah. but that's not to discount yeah. the role that women play in our lives. Mothers, of course, yes. but also these these mother figures. Yeah, yeah. I mean, throughout my life, mean, I didn't realize that until I until I finished writing the book. Yeah. I finished writing the book, and I went through it, and I was just like, "Wow, there's Tiana, there's my mom, there's my aunt Doki," because I still had to pay off the court fees. I want Aunt Doki. Yeah, that's cool. She's a, she's going to be 101 in what? a few months. Yeah, wow. she's still alive. She's about go to fly. Go get Bougie out there. Steve, check it. I, you keep peeking through this. Go get Bougie and let him in here. Aunt Doki going to be 101 years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. She's about to begin on a plane to fly to San Diego in two days to come be with me for Father's Day. I love it. And uh, she pulled out all the money out of her savings account to help me pay off my court fees and fines wow. and stuff. And uh, you go through the book, you'll see the HM2 that allowed me to work out so that I could get right to get into seal training you know so so many women so many yeah. women yeah seal training yeah man <laughs> everybody's got their stories on that yeah how how, how rough was that on you <laughs> it was horrible man. Yeah. I, can't imagine. <laughs> I mean a lot of these guys were like oh it's no, it sucked yeah. i mean straight up i mean it was what's, what's the saying the only only easy, the day, only was easy yesterday. day was yesterday and i went in not knowing how to swim Oh boy! So you know, it was even harder for me. There were times when we had to. I mean, and once a week we had to do two mile time ocean swims, and uh, I failed every single one of them. Yeah. You know, my first go round. And uh, I'm always fascinated with how many seals don't like the water. Like, yeah. like, I like Chris Kyle didn't like the water. I didn't know that. I didn't know he Chris did, didn't he like did the not water. like the water. Yeah. But I, but I run into a lot of different guys who, yeah. who are seals, and they're like, yeah, yeah. Not my thing. But I'm like, if you're going to make me swim 23 miles, I wouldn't like the freaking water either. No, no. And that water's cold, man. <laughs> that water's cold. I mean, at, but at the end of every swim, I was either borderline hypothermic or hypothermic. Wow. My lowest core temperature at one point was 88.7 because I had no body fat. I, you know, and I, and I had just muscle and it was just a, that's the worst part of seal. That was the worst part of seal training for me was the cold because yeah. they torture you with it, you know, and uh, the mind games I could take growing up in the Bronx that prepared me for that. Um, the push-ups, the sit-ups, the runs, all that I could take, you know, I had prepared physically. It was that cold water, man. Yeah, that, that's That brutal. thing has a See, that's, that's hard for me. I don't yeah. like cold yeah. at all. You talk about Nigeria. Yeah, like, man. We, I, one of my trips over there, um, uh, like, I can remember coldest water I've ever been in was in Moscow for 15 days because it was summertime and they cut all the hot water off. Oh, wow. Right? Wow. And so you had it. If you're going to bathe. Yeah, it's going to be If you're going to take a shower. Gonna, and, and that's <laughs> Moscow, Russia. Yeah. But I can remember being in Nigeria for a month one time. Yeah. And the only hot water I got was at a place I stayed up in Abuja. And I was so happy to take that hot shower. Yeah. Because I can't stand it. 
Uh, I don't know how you do it. Yeah. And I'm talking about like you're sacrificing for the country. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to take a shower. You just trying to take a shower. That's brutal. Yeah, so, so like I sacrificed too, Remy. Yeah, I, I sacrificed. You did. You did. Here you go. I gave for my country. For the people in Nigeria. I went to Nigeria and took a cold shower. <laughs> now I do it every morning with my wife. I don't. I don't. I don't get Not nowhere near cold well, I don't get that. No, I mean, I'll take a shot with my wife, but I don't get anywhere near cold water anymore. No. I can't take it. I don't like to go. I don't want to go swimming in the pool. Me neither. I don't. I, don't, I mean, it's just like I'll be by the water or on the water. I'm not a fan of getting in the water. Yeah. You know, I'm my wife loves way. a scuba and, or, or snorkel and all that junk. I'm like. Unless it's, unless it's hot. Yeah. I don't like it. I know. Yes, but sir. you came through it. Yeah. You didn't ring the bell. Didn't ring the bell. Didn't ring the bell. Went through my graduating class. Started out with 270. Only 29 of us graduated. So, I mean, yeah, and that's the way it is every class, you know, and I was and I, I think I was around I was around the 50th, 55th or 50th in the history, African-American in the history of the SEAL teams to make it through because wow. since 1962, you know, it's less than one percent are African-Americans that make it make it in the special operations in general. So um, you get one a class they, or sometimes you get none a class. So, you know, I was I was that one. <laughs> I'm curious in how how did. All of a sudden, now you're in the Navy, and mm-hmm. you got a lot of men yelling at you. Yeah. Putting you through this training and, mm-hmm. and playing the mind games. How did that affect you mm-hmm. with what you were already experiencing psychologically and spiritually, not having a dad? Did it affect you? In a negative way, no, because I knew that it was all for a purpose. Yeah. You know, I knew that it wasn't, you know, malicious, and it wasn't, you know, you know, wasn't being done just to make fun of me or just to say what well, I know it was being done to, to weed weed out the weak in order to see who's the strongest. And I always, I wanted to pass that test yeah. every time I never, I didn't want to quit because I wanted to be that one of the last group of men standing. And so it never, it didn't affect me in a negative. Now there were times when I was laying in that cold water uh, <laughs> and I found this interesting um, when it happened where it was, it just sucked so bad and I was just, I started crying out to my dad, not literally crying out, but just saying, dad, just help me. Give me strength. Just give me strength to get through this evolution. There was times when I did that. Um, but I found as time went on, you know, the instructors almost in, in some cases became like father figures to me. Yeah. You know, um, because that's where I really learned about, you know, integrity. You know what I mean? Doing, my mom taught me this, but it was more further reinforced. But doing whatever you do, do it with excellence. That's where I learned it from men mm-hmm. for the first time, you know, in my life. You know, I had heard it from my mom, but that's where I really. So, you know, I have a chapter in there um, in the book where I kind of discuss that. You know, I discuss, you know, that affirmation when I started to receive affirmation from my buds instructors, how that really, it really, um, kind of helped fill that void that I had for many years, not getting it from my father, but in, in a more cement concrete way versus when I was trying to see, get the affirmation from, you know, selling drugs and making money, that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy, man. Mm-hmm. Hats off to you. And thank you for doing it. Uh, thank, thank you for you. hanging on. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad. I did. Yeah, Cause then I couldn't watch you in transform. Yeah, I know. I know. I that know. Would be I know. I want to have a book. I you want to have a book. I want to have the life I have. Yeah. When did the book come out? Uh, May fourteenth, so last May month. 14th. Yeah, so it just it just been out right out of month. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. This is uh, it's a fantastic book. I'm not finished with it. I'm I'm yeah. I, like I told you, I, I always do my thing on my yeah. on my iPhone or whatever, and I, I read like three books a week. So yeah, I, yeah, I've just recently gotten into yours, yeah. and it really is a good book. Thank you. And 
I wrote it all myself. I didn't, Did use, I didn't use a ghostwriter. I didn't have a co-writer. Um, one thing I talk about in my book, and I kind of just I touched on it earlier a bit, but my mom, she would make my brother and I write for punishment. She would make us uh, during the public education system in the Bronx was horrible at the time. Yeah. And to this day, it's still bad. And she was a teacher in the South Bronx, and she didn't want us to be a statistic. So she would, during the summer, she would make us do extra homework to prepare us for the mm-hmm. upcoming year. So I got my principles and foundations as a writer you know, as a young kid, six, seven, eight, nine years old. And then fast forward to my job in the SEAL teams, I did intelligence collection. And part of that is I had to write very long, detailed visual reports um, that would go up to different federal agencies, uh, go up to generals, admirals. And so that's where my writing skills were really enhanced. And so I ended up writing a book and uh, and that led to me writing other, you know, films and stuff like that. That's admirable. I mean, because this is a meaty book. This is not a pamphlet. Yeah, no, it's not. This is not a pamphlet. I mean, you got, you got, a lot of pages in here. Yeah, man. And, and there's even some pictures oh, yeah. right here in the middle. I don't get carried away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, like, there's Aunt Noki. Yeah. I love yeah, her. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to fly out to San Diego. Yeah, man. Come hang. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, th- this is a good book. I, I encourage everybody to get transformed. The Navy SEAL's Unlikely Journey from the Throne of Africa to the Streets of the Bronx, Defying All Odds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'm thankful for you, man. Uh, thank and, you. Uh, get the book, Transformed. Yeah. Remy Adeleke, and then just say that. It just rolls off the tongue. There you go. Remy <laughs> Dude, you're always welcome here. Thank you. Always welcome to come on. appreciate the time today uh, and hanging out. Absolutely. Thank and, you for having uh, me on. And, and check, out the, check out the podcast. Our, our guest and good friend of the podcast here, uh, Mike Ritland. Oh, yeah. Everybody, you were recently on his. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Mike Mike does long-form yeah, podcasts. Like, yeah, it's funny because I remember when he, uh, when he had me on as I was driving there, I had like a flight that I had to catch like about three hours later. And I was like, hey, man, I got this flight I got to catch. He's like, oh, good. We, we'll just do half half the time. So I figured, oh, yeah, his half the time was two hours. Two hours. My half the time when he said that was 30 minutes. So mm-hmm. I said to him, oh, no, that's not. We don't need to do 30 minutes. I'm sure I could do an hour. He's like, no, my, my podcast is usually four hours. I was like, oh, man. I'm like, so, Mike, are you lonely? Yeah. Like, are you lonely? <laughs> like, how is it that you get people on here to do three and four hour podcasts? Well, it's, it's strategic because the way the analytics work, from what I understand on iTunes, is it doesn't go by how many views. Right. The, it goes by how, how much, how long a video is viewed. So right. that's how you you boost it up there and yeah. that that's exactly right like yeah. what's the duration or the um what's the word mark the uh, time. the uh, retention rate retention rate oh, got it, yeah. Got it, yeah. the retention rate and and actually mm. uh oddly enough ours is really good yeah. like our i think our on a typical 45 minute show our retention rate is is like 35 minutes oh, that's of, awesome. of a deal yeah. so you yeah. know because we are again yeah. i figure hanging out 45 minutes to an hour which is typically what we do yeah. is, is long enough for folks yeah. i'm like mike bro yeah I, i'm like i'll go i'll go to lunch with mike and i'm like you don't have that much to say man i mean he's kind of a quiet guy yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and then i'm like how do you do a four-hour podcast yeah. with these people yeah it's crazy but he's yeah. a good dude he's a great dude awesome he's, dude love that guy, dogs man. everywhere yeah man it's funny. I'm man. happy for him, man. Yeah, he's doing, he's doing great. great. That yeah. podcast is going good. And that, that's the Mic Drop podcast, yeah. M-I-K-E, just like his name. Yeah. Mic Drop podcast. I encourage people to go on there. You can get it on YouTube. Remy yeah. sits down with him for a long time. Yeah. And uh, if you got sensitive ears, Ritland might not be the dude you want to listen to. <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. He's, 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 he calls it how he sees it. He calls it. He doesn't. He doesn't. He did, I just love that about him. Yeah. He's just real. Yes, and, sir. And uh, he just says it the way he says it. Yes, and, sir. And I love the guy. Yes, sir. But no, he's a blast. And uh, congratulations on 
and all the success. I'm Thank telling you. you, man, you're going to the top, baby. All right. Hollywood. Hollywood. Uh, Everybody comes to Hollywood has yeah. a drink. Yeah, yeah, if you, you need go. an extra transformer. <laughs> I'll keep you in mind. More than meets the eye. I'll keep you in mind. I didn't like the Bumblebee movie, though. More than meets the eye. I thought they were reaching with the Bumblebee movie. Like, there wasn't I, a lot of action in that one. Yeah. yeah. It was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, uh, it was just, I don't know, it was weird. Mm-hmm. I had to make myself watch it. Shut up, Bougie. For those of you who don't know, Bougie Sean and Metro Jason just came in the room. Y'all can't see him. I hadn't seen him in a week. Uh, <laughs> but anyway. Remy, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on. I'm brother. telling you, folks, go get the book. You got a website? Uh, you can go to transformstory.com, but I'm on all social media platforms. Yeah. Remy Adelaide, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Transformedstory.com. Story.com. Yes, sir. Get the book. Download it where books are available. I don't care where you get it from. Amazon. Amazon, Barnes yeah. & Noble, Barnes wherever Noble. books are sold. Do it. It's a good book. Yes, sir. Hey, you want to make a dent in the thing? And you don't, 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 don't complain about it. Do something about yeah. it. And this is this is a good manual for that right here. Yes, so sir. appreciate the story. Thank you. Keep telling the story, man. We'll do. We'll yeah. do. All right. We'll do. Hey, go to watchchad.com. If you get real bored, you can find me out all across the country going and going and going. We got Party Foul Steve's always on the road with me. Mm-hmm. And every now and then, Bougie and Jason are there, too, keeping up. I got to have smart people around me. Yeah. <laughs> people way smarter than me. That's good. Keep me straight, you know. That's, yeah. Look at them over here. Like, Allison's over here. She's on her computer right now doing stuff for me. <laughs> Is she doing stuff for me, Jason? Is she? Good. <laughs> I better be pulled up on that computer 24 hours a day, girl. Mm-hmm. Is she, Mark? Is she representing? Yeah. Okay, She's good. planning things right now. <laughs> yeah, you got to keep these people straight. There you go. Yeah, listen. I ain't got, I ain't got money to burn, Steve. Steve <laughs> thinks I do. What? She, bougie, let me tell you this. You weren't in here. They, partyfoul.com, I was trying to buy it. I was negotiating. The guy wanted $7,500 for it. Right, I offered up to three thousand for it, and then he was willing to come to fifty five hundred. The guy said, "Do you want to do four thousand? I said, "I don't think so. I can sell just as much stuff on PartyFoul.us, which I bought for nineteen bucks a year, right?" And Steve's like, "Yeah, but well, we can." I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> "Idiot!" <laughs> Get the book. We're getting out of here. We love y'all. God bless you. We'll talk to God you next bless. time. Bye. 